turning your Bibles to the Gospel of John and chapter 2, verse 17, and then also the Old Testament verse that says almost the same thing in Psalm 69, verse 9. We'll read those two verses. Psalm 69, verse 9, and then John's Gospel, chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 2, verse number 17. Another word for zeal could be fire. And Pastor Magnuson, when his brother gave his funeral uh, eulogy, whatever you call it, sermon, and he said, Pastor Magnuson, his brother, his older brother, was on fire. And we need to get on fire. We've got we have something to get fired up about. You say, well what do you want to get fired up for at fifty eight years old? I want to go reach the laws, that's what. I want to give more of my money to God because I want to meet him probably sooner than you all. <clears throat> I already have him, but I want to go out in a flame of fire. That's the way Elijah went. He went up in a chariot of fire. The horses were on fire. Praise God, my Savior's coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. We need to be characterized by uh, this matter of being on fire. And we're going to look at a, a few different ones in the Bible, but especially I want you to see the one who is our zealous one. He's our example in everything. And His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who did something that showed that He was filled with zeal or fire. And so we'll find that in John's Gospel and over in Psalm 69. So you stand with me please if you've found your place. If not, just follow along with us. We'll read these two verses in unison. Psalm 69, probably, unless you have an unbelievably large reference Bible, it's quite a bit in the middle of your Bible. The Psalms. Psalm 69 and verse 9. And then we'll go over to the New Testament and we'll see that this is speaking about none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be reminded that many, many Old Testament Scripture verses are speaking about Christ. It says, They pierced my hands and my feet. They gaped upon me, it says. He gave His soul an offering for sin. And then there's another place in the Old Testament, and it talks about Him coming to His temple. And here we see Him coming to His temple, filled with zeal and a fulfillment of that Scripture as well. But these are the same uh, words almost exactly in Psalm 69, verse 9, as we begin reading together in unison, stopping or at least hesitating uh, at whatever punctuation comes in the verse so we can somewhat read together. So this is Psalm 69 and verse number 9. For the zeal of thine house have eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Over to John's Gospel, chapter 2, verse number 17. 
And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you eaten up with the zeal of God? Are you eaten up with the zeal for the house of God? If not, then we're not like Jesus in that area. I believe we ought to be eaten up with the zeal for the house of God. And that's what we need, I believe, today as much as we need anything else. Unless you're saved. If you're without Christ, you need to come to Christ. And then you will get eaten up. You'll appreciate the house of God. People won't have to drag you here. You'll know the Christ who started the whole thing. And you'll want to be and come to His house. You know, when you meet new friends, you want to go to their house, don't you? Who was it? One of my relatives or friends or something. And they, and they said, uh, is he going to come to, is he staying overnight? can't even remember who it was now. They wanted to know if I was going to stay overnight. Oh, it was the McBaneys. I went over there. They invited us for a meal, which we had a rain check for so many times. Finally, we made it on a Friday night. And um, one of the little kids, they were just hanging on to my leg just and saying, are you going to stay all night? I said, I don't know, buddy. I said, I think we're going to stay pretty late. They told us we were going to stay pretty late. So he just took it. We're staying all night. Boy, he was so excited. I'll tell you what, isn't it exciting when you go over to someone's house who's a new friend and you just love to be with that new friend or that girl or boyfriend that you're planning on marrying? Boy, you just want to go over and camp out at their house, don't you? Remember when my, I was dating my wife and I just wanted to go and live at her house. As soon as the Navy, I was out of the Navy, I wanted to go to her house. I was planning on marrying her. I want to spend all my time over there. And uh, I didn't care what her mother fed me or anything. I didn't care all that southern food. And I didn't know what half that stuff was. Collard greens and all that. I didn't go there to eat collard greens. And what's that other? Okra? And oysters? But I didn't go there. I went there to find me a wife. Boy, I was glad when that... When I got free from work and I just went and just lived as much as long, stayed as long as I could. And then finally, after about three to six months, I think we moved it up from, we moved the date and we decided, what are we waiting for? Let's just plumb get married. Let's get this over with. We're going to get married anyhow. But you know, that ought to be the way with God's house. We ought to be eaten up, eaten up with a love for the house of God. Let's pray. Father, bless us. Give us this zeal that Jesus had for the house of God. We'll thank thee, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, let me ask you again. Do you have a zeal for the house of God? All the way through the Bible. Even David, you recall, he says that God was, he was staying in a tent. And he said, Lord... He said, here you are in a tent, and I have a beautiful house. He said, I want to build you a temple. For the tabernacle was a tent. And God said to him, no, I'll let your son, Solomon, build me a house, a temple. You've been a bloody man, and he'll be a peaceful man. But I'll tell you what, wasn't it a good thing that David had in his heart? 
He wanted to build a house for God. I was reading in the commentary this morning and he said, shame on you if you think your house ought to be as nice or nicer than God's house. He said, we ought to be shamed to have the house of God look in worse repair than ours. That's why when I drove up this morning and I walked across the gravel here and I saw one of those, one of those whips. Saw one of those whips that you use out there. Uh, trimmers. What do they call those things? Weed eaters. Alright, I couldn't think of them. And I saw this big blue thing and I went and picked it up. I'll tell you what, we need to have God's house. If it was at my house, I'd have picked it up. And God's house is more important than my house. Amen? This is where we hear the Word of God. This is where we get saved. Here's where we talk about spiritual things. Here's where we get people prepared for their eternal abode with God in heaven. I'll tell you, we ought to have a zeal for God's house. David did. Boy, it says in the psalm, one of the Psalms, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Sing a new song unto the Lord. I'm telling you, Brother Williams and his wife and family, when they moved into their new house, they were excited. Amen? And when the Dormanies just moved into their new house, they were excited. You have every right to be excited if the Lord gave you those homes. Amen? Now, if you went out and bought it on your own and didn't in include the Lord, then I hope you can't pay for it. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you ought to pray about everything. But I'll tell you what, when we finally moved into this house of God, I'll tell you what, there was excitement around. And if the Lord allows us to build a, bit, a larger one out in front, we ought to have excitement. As we build next our servicemen center home, which we've been praying about for years and years, ever since we came here to try to reach our single soldiers and help our single soldiers, I'll tell you what, we ought to want to put our time and our money and make it a pretty place of praise to God. Beautiful. To the glory of God. Well, I don't want it to be better than our house. I was thinking as I was preparing this message, these people who are professing Christians and they're more interested in their little Bible studies apart from the church services, they are not honoring God in the right way. Jesus was eaten up with a zeal for God's house. He made a whip because they were making it a place of merchandise and He drove them out of the temple. Jesus. And then they said, well, we remember it's written in Psalm 69, verse 9. The zeal of my, thine house hath eaten me up. I want you to know my Savior, the Lord Jesus, and your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was eaten up. Eaten up with zeal. He was on fire for the house of God and for the God of the house. I wonder if we're like that. Do we want to keep God's house pure? We ought to be against some things. If we're in favor of the house of God, we're going to be against some other things. Yes, we will. By the way, Nashon, he was all excited. He was excited about... You know what he did? He was so eaten up with zeal. Just eaten up with zeal for warring for God and for giving to God. Nation. He was the first one, possibly, 
and even probably that put his foot in the Red Sea when the Red Sea parted. I want you to know, nation, he was on fire. He had zeal. He was a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We don't need these pansies in the Lord's army. We need some fighters, some warriors for Christ. The Bible says endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It says no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We have too many of our Christians are too involved with the things of this life. And we're going to leave it all behind one day. Came into the world with nothing, we're going out with nothing. So we better do a whole lot while we're still here. Don't you want to be on fire for God? Tell you what, there were a whole lot of people last night on fire with the devil's brew down here at the Bunny Club and Sam Station and City Limits and all the other ones over there in uh, Harker Heights. We ought to come to God's house and be fired up with the Spirit of God. I was thinking also, we were down there in Mexico just recently, and they had the, I, I noticed this, by the way, if you didn't remember this, uh, Brother Grab and my wife. Did you notice who were out there doing the begging? Wasn't the men. Didn't even think about that until last night as I was thinking about this matter of giving. It was the women and the children. And not too many of the boys either. It was more the girls. And they were begging. And they had their little cups, as we said in the Sunday school hour. The poles were about from the down at the bottom here all the way up to the ceiling of our church and higher. And these little cups on the end of these long poles, and they were shaking them. And this one girl, I especially uh, noticed her. I gave her a dollar the day before, stuck it in the little uh, plastic thing there, you know. It doesn't hurt to give to the poor. It's like laying up treasures in heaven. He that gives to the poor, lends to the Lord. So I stuck a dollar in there. And boy, I'll tell you what she did after she got that dollar. She went all the way down there. She wanted another dollar. And on the next day when we came back, I noticed as we were going back, she was there again. Say, well... Isn't it a terrible thing to beg? Yes, but I want to tell you, even her begging, she was zealous about that. <laughs> I mean, she was there to get some money. She wasn't there to waste her time. <laughs> I thank God I wasn't a beggar and I haven't had to beg like that. Praise God, I'd rather be like Lazarus and beg and get to God's, uh, the bosom of Abraham in, in glory and paradise. Hallelujah than to be a rich man and die and go to hell, be begging for just a drop of water. Sinners that go to hell are begging for all eternity for that drop of water, and there's no water in hell. There's no peace in hell. There's no nice day in hell, for every day is a bad night, for there is no light there. It's one eternal night in hell. But Jesus said that He's the light of that city we're going to. There is no darkness there. He is the light of the world. In Him is no darkness at all. And in the devil is no light at all. 
Now, he was a very illustrious and glorious and beautiful and bright angel at one time, but he fell through transgression and pride. Took a third of the angels with him. Still two-thirds on God's side. Hallelujah. Amen. Did you ever think about angels? Here down there in Mexico, they were selling these angels. You know, all these angels. Praise God, I've got my angels. All the wrecks I almost got into, I thank God for, for angels coming down and taking care of me when I didn't have enough sense to change my tires or didn't have enough money to put on decent tires. The Lord kept them rolling along. One time even through those, what do they call that thing in West Virginia? We were going to take a little pleasure trip. We were trying to make time, and we thought that beautiful green road. Blue Ridge Parkway. If you're wanting to get somewhere, please don't take that road. All of a sudden, I smell my brakes. All I can think about, what am I going to do if I can't stop? I'll just have to put it right in the side of the mountain and slow myself down that way. That's the only thing I know to do. Thank the Lord. I'm glad for some angels are watching over me, taking care of me. Someone said when you go over the speed limit, especially as much as you go over it, the angels get off the fenders. I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> Thank God that even in our stupidity, the Lord is gracious and good to us. But David had a zeal for the house of God. Do you have any zeal for the house of the Lord? Do you have, did you have a zeal for the house of God years ago that you don't have today? If so... Remember where God found you and go back to there, that place of blessing again. Or ask God to rekindle the fire of a love for the house of God like you used to love the house of God. By the way, if you don't love the Bible very much, you probably won't love His house very much either. If you don't love His Word very much. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. If you're meditating on the Word of God all day long, the house of God will be more precious to you. Some people say, well, do you have any Bible, uh, Bible studies at your church? Yes, we have one in Sunday school at 10 o'clock. And then we have another one at 11 o'clock. And then we have another one at 6 o'clock tonight. And then we have another one on Wednesday night. And then we have another Bible study every mission conference every night. And every revival meeting we have a Bible study. What they say, well, no, that's not the kind of Bible study I mean. I know, I know you want a Bible study where you can put your two cents in and you don't have enough sense to put in. That's why God called preachers and evangelists and teachers. So we'll sit there and listen and keep our, our mouths shut and let God speak to us. Now, we do have a Friday night Bible study, but oh, even those Bible studies, they need to be led by somebody and they need to be teaching. They, they need to have prayed over uh, a message. I'll tell you, you can get off on doctrine so much, all these, these Bible studies at homes. I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of ch good churches and a lot of good Christians get ruined by stuff like that. I just heard not a month ago of one and their homes split up. It's a sad day when they went to a Bible study on Wednesday night when they could have been in this church on Wednesday night. Amen. Sad note. Sad note. If you have Bible studies, they ought to be in conjunction with the local church. If not, they can become very dangerous to you and to everybody 
that you think you're such a great teacher for. If you're that great teacher, we'll find you out. We'll, we'll put you in a class. You say, well, I don't want to teach little kids. Well, that's where I started, so you're, you're greater than the pastor, I guess. Is that your problem? First ones I led to the Lord were little, little precious little black boys. I led them to Christ on the, on the street corner. Got down on my knees right there on the, on the sidewalk. Right there on the sidewalk. Cars going by. I didn't care. I was leading them to Christ. So I want to teach adults. Well, you better start with the kids. Then I taught a second and third grade boys class and had the privilege of leading all those little boys in, in the chapel there uh, at Great Lakes to the Lord. I didn't know much Bible, but I knew the Christ of the Bible. So I was able to introduce those little boys to Jesus. Praise God. So I don't. I want to teach older people. Well, if God called you to preach, he may let you do that in the future. Amen? But if you want to take the pulpit, I'm not going to relinquish it to you because God called me to the pulpit. Amen? And I'm going to get people like Brother Godfrey to preach, and they're doing winning more souls than you and I both are. And so I'll put him in the pulpit. And he'll get us all fired up with zeal for God. Amen? I find the... Most of the time when these people want all these Bible studies, they're filled with pride or they think they know more than the pastor knows. Well, you don't know more than the Christ in the pastor. Amen? I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know very much, but I know the one who knows it all. And he saved me, and that Holy Spirit's the great teacher living in every believer. Amen? And he calls some to preach. Had, had someone the other day on the phone, it was Mrs. Julian, and I was calling and she said, she said, well, my husband's gift is, is, is uh, you know, there, God calls some prophets and some evangelists and some teachers and pastors, and my husband's gift is, is uh, teaching. And she said, now your gift is a prophet. Haven't heard that recently. I don't know if I ever heard that, sister. I said, well, yeah, I'm like that sometimes. She said, you're like that all the time. I said, well, okay, all right, I guess I am. She said, you tell us how to live. That's right. That's right. The prophet's gift. Fire it out, amen. Exhort the people to live right and to to read the Bible and go soul winning and love people and weep over sinners and go down there to Mexico and reach the poor and quit feeding your own face and feed someone else's face. Love someone else. Quit looking at yourself in the mirror and go down and see these poor people who don't have anything and they don't have Christ either. And you could give them a gospel track. That could cheer up their eternity. <laughs> They'd read it and get saved. A track we gave out was eight and a half by 11s. Sheets of paper folded one time. And they say that two or three every day write in from that picture track, picture on the front, all those wonderful scripture verses in Spanish. They say they get two or three right back, and they got, said they got saved by that track. And I got a whole bunch of them in my, in my house I brought back. I'll bring them maybe tonight. We can get some of those Spanish tracks out to the Spanish people here. Oh, I believe, I believe we need exhortation in the church too. And that's good you're a teacher, brother. God give you the gift of teaching. Praise God, that's a good gift. Amen. God gives, gives everybody a different gift. 
You know why? You know why you're in a class? Because God's given you the gift of teaching. See, we knew that you were teaching before, right? And preaching before. That's why you preached Wednesday night. We don't want somebody up here who doesn't have any experience at all. Come on now. Right? You say, well, the preacher should have called on me. Well, the Holy Spirit, I'm not that hard-headed. He would speak to me. I try to listen. Amen? If we, had, if we had a real great teacher and preacher and everything in, the, in here, I tell you, I think the Lord, the Holy Spirit would bring it out. Some of you weren't here one or two weeks and we found out you were a soul winner. Just like that. Amen? And you know what? You're still winning souls. You know why? Because your heart's in soul winning. That's exciting, amen? That's why we heard this week while we were gone that, that someone was led to Christ. You know why? Because the, the fellow has a, a soul winner's heart. He wants to see people saved. Are you like that? Do you have a zeal for the house of God and a zeal to reach sinners for Christ? That's what Brother Godfrey was all, that's what it was all about. And Brother Dormany, we can be all excited five years ago, but does that mean we're excited today, right? We've got to do the, keep doing the same things. Amen? The same with missions. Brother Dormy's a mission-minded fellow. Oh, he loves to go out and win souls and go out here to the fort. And, and uh, I was really thinking about Brother Estes, but I got over here. We've got a bunch of soul winners in this church. I thank God. They're soul-conscious people. You can get along with them a lot easier than these others. Because <laughs> they're wrapped up in others instead of themselves. I can't, I can't get along too well with people that are so wrapped up in themselves. Because we need to be wrapped up in Jesus. We need to have a zeal for the house of God. And the things of God and the Word of God and the souls of men that Christ died for. What about Paul? I think Paul had a zeal. Oh, yes. Boy, he preached Christ. Got locked up in jail. God shook the whole jail. What about Daniel? I think Daniel had a zeal for the house of God. Three times a day he opened his windows toward Jerusalem and prayed to the God of heaven three times a day on his knees with his windows open to Jerusalem, the temp place of the temple site. Well, I think Daniel had a zeal for the house of God, a longing in his heart to be in the temple, although he was taken off captive and was a eunuch off there in a foreign land, but oh, he had the Christ of Calvary while he was in captivity. He had a zeal for God's house even when he was captive in another nation. And he asked and made requests that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, that hog meat, nor with the wine which he drank. He purposed in his heart in Daniel 1.8, we need more purposeful people who have a love for the house of God and a hatred for alcohol and what it does for people and a ha hatred for the meat that's unclean. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. If your brothers and sisters think it's wrong for you to have that Schlitz or that Miller's or that alcohol or that uh, vodka or whatever it is, 
If they think it's evil, then you ought not to taste it or even look at it. Why? Because you might offend your brother in the Lord. That's terrible. He'd think less of you. And then you're trying to win a you try to you try to win an American in you go down and you say well I can do it in Germany well you may do it in Germany you're not going to do it here in America and you have a glass of a beer or wine or something and you try to tell a man how to be saved and I'll tell you he'll look at you and laugh at you in America today you have a cigarette in your mouth and he'll laugh at you too there I know that's taking place J C Keller. He just got saved, and he's trying to win this man to Christ, and he had a pack of Chesterfield or whatever in his pocket, and, the, and he was trying to lead this man to Christ. He just got saved. And, and that fellow said, what's that in your pocket? He said, that's just a pack of Chesterfield cigarettes. He said, well, you can't control yourself any more than that. Then I don't want to hear about your Christ. He got rid of the cigarettes and never did pick them up again. He said, if that's going to keep me from leading someone to Jesus, I'll just quit those things. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to smoke his big cigars. He said, my preacher brethren didn't like my cigars, so I quit smoking cigars. Quit smoking, period. Good idea? Say, well, Spurgeon smoked, I know, until they put an advertisement. This is the tobacco that Spurgeon used because he was such a great preacher in England, in London, and he said, no more smoking if they're going to do that. <laughs> he quit. So I know Ira D. Sankey used to sit in the back and he used to smoke a cigarette while D.L. Moody was out there preaching. I know, but that was back then and that was Ira Sankey and that's not you! Amen? When I started dating my wife, she said all these gospel singers, these gospel singers, the gospel five and this and that and the other and they're back there playing cards and and drinking, drinking uh, wine or, and then smoking their cigarettes. And my wife says, well, if that's Christianity, we don't want anything to do with it. We don't want to go around those quartets and quintets and sextets and whatever world they are. Mm-hmm. So, oh, boy, you're getting on everything this morning, aren't you, preacher? Yeah, I'm against everything. Jesus, you know what Jesus did? Jesus drove them out of the temple, and all they were was selling the sacrifices to the people and making sure they had the right money. They were making money off it, though, making merchandise off it, but so they could sacrifice to the Lord. They were getting their money out of the people sacrificing to God, and we're not supposed to do that. The house of God's to be a place not of merchandise, but of prayer and praise and worship. We can even mess up the things of God and make them to stink in the nostrils of God. It says, Woe be to him that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. One thing ought to be far from every believer, and that's deceivableness, deceit. We should be so true, blue, honest as can be Christians, and the thing we're so prone to do is we lie to ourselves. Even if we don't lie to others, we'll lie to ourselves. And think we're all right and we're all wrong sometimes. Daniel, pray three times a day. What about Joseph of the Old Testament, Joseph of the New Testament? Oh, didn't he long for his father's house? He longed for his father's house so much and praised the God of glory. There down in Egypt, he would not sin. And he named his first son when he got his wife from Pharaoh. Named his first son Manasseh, which means forgetting. 
He tried to forget all the blessings he had in his home, yet he couldn't do it. He, he was so, he loved his house and he loved the praises of God and he loved his father. He wanted to forget all his loneliness and forget all his trials and forget all his troubles. The Lord allowed him to do that, so he named his first son Manasseh, which means forgetful. But then the second son, he named him fruitful. Named him, same word as fruitful, Ephraim. What about Jehu? Do you think he had zeal? He said to the king, come up and pull him into the chariot and said, come and see my zeal for the Lord. I'm going to get Jezebel. <laughs> he rode his chariot so hard and fast before that, he comes right up there and he kills the other king. They said the riding is, is the riding of Jehu, for he driveth furiously. We need some zealous people for God. They can just tell by the way the chariot's rolling. That must be Jehu. You know how some people drive their automobiles? There goes Jehu! <laughs> well, that's the way they were with their chariots. I'll tell you what, he pulled that old chariot up there and said to those people up there, You eunuchs, throw her out! Throw her down! She's as wicked as the devil! Boy, they knew she was, didn't they? They took those eunuchs, grabbed her, and they obeyed Jehu because they were obeying God through as God was trying to destroy Jezebel and Ahab, and down she went. And the dogs came and ate her up and ate everything but her hands and her feet and her brain because her hands were defiled. Her feet were defiled. Her brain was defiled. She had a wicked mind and a wicked hands and wicked feet. Took her to wicked places and made her husband to take the very land of Naboth. She said, what are you crying about, big boy? You're the king around here, Ahab. That's what Jezebel said to him. Go on, just take the land. We'll get a couple people to falsely accuse Naboth of blasphemy and we'll have him moved out. And so they did. They had him stoned to death. And then he goes down to take. And he takes Naboth's vineyard. And before it was over, the dogs licked the blood of Ahab right where he did injustice and killed Naboth. The dogs licked his blood. Be sure your sin will find you out. What a wicked king Ahab was, and his wife was just as wicked as him. Kind of like the last president we just had. Thank God for the ones we have now, at least they're sensible. And they do think the Bible's a good book. Pray for them, amen? Oh, I could say more. I guess I better not. He's already out of office. They better keep him out of office. He lost his thing at the... He couldn't even practice law in his own state. I think he might have done some things wrong. I heard a preacher not two or three weeks ago, and he said, I'm from Arkansas. And he said, it's not what we do know about him that troubles me. It's what we haven't heard about him that really troubles me. You ought to go and ask that preacher what and how bad that president was. All the atrocities he did in Arkansas. You know what? From a wicked heart comes wicked deeds, wicked thoughts. Wicked hands, wicked feet, wicked brain, minds. 
Jehu driveth furiously. Well, we need a zeal against evil. If we have a zeal for the house of God. He, you know what he did? He exterminated almost Baal worship completely out of everything. So I didn't like the way he did it too well. Well, he sure got it done, didn't he? And then Simeon and Anna. Look over here. This is a little more pleasant. Look with me over to Luke's gospel. Luke two, uh, 1 and Luke 2. And these will be the last unless the Lord leads us otherwise. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a zeal? Are you eaten up with a hatred for evil? Jesus was eaten up with a love and affection for the house of God and for the things of God. So much so that he made a whip and drove them out of the temple. And then we have in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the mother and father of the great John the Baptist, the greatest man born of woman was John the Baptist, except for Jesus, of course. And you know why John the Baptist was great? Well, because he had a great God, of course. The Bible says he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Figure that one out, friends. John the Baptist was something. His mother Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. When Mary came in, she, John the Baptist jumped in her womb, the Bible says, at the very presence of Jesus. <laughs> Glory be to God. Can you imagine? Here's Mary, the mother of our Lord, coming in. And she just was told by the angel that she's going to have a boy baby and his name's going to be called Jesus. He'll be the Christ. He'll be the Savior of the world. And so she goes off there to Elizabeth, her cousin's house. And as she comes into the threshold of the house, Elizabeth was already, who had been barren, Zacharias was old, Elizabeth was old, it was much like uh, Abraham and Sarah. They said, well, we're so old, how can we have children? God said, you're going to have, uh, Zacharias, you're going to have a boy baby in about nine months. You call his name John. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and many shall he turn to the Lord our God. Many shall rejoice at his birth. You know what? We get excited about People getting saved around this church. I hope we never get over it. I'm telling you, we, we, we thought it was exciting when we heard that our daughter uh, Patty was going to have twins. And then last night we heard she's going to have triplets. Three instead of two. They were just like this about having two. Now she's going to have three. Linda said, make sure you're not going to have four, Patty. But there's excitement, and as soon as I heard, I laughed. That's what's, that's a, I, I laughed it. I laughed for joy. Like, what did, what did Abraham do? Abraham was almost 100 years old, and his wife was 90 years old, and they were past the age of childbearing. And it says that, it says that Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He just fell down and laughed. How could I, I'm almost 100 years old, have children? Abraham should have realized how great God was. After Sarah died, he married Keturah and had a whole bunch more kids. Amen? God can take care of all that. But it says about Sarah, she was past the age of bearing children. Physically, she was past the age of having children. It was a miracle. 
And then the Bible says she laughed in her tent. She laughed in, the heart, in her heart. She overheard the angels talking. And she laughed in her heart. And the angel said, hey, uh, Sarah laughed. And, la and Sarah said, oh, I didn't laugh. She did too laugh. And you know what? The baby was named Laughter. Isaac means laughter. Every time they looked at him, here, here comes laughter. Here comes laughter. Isaac, here comes laughter. It reminded them that their child was born. It was an answer to prayer. And an answer, it was God, God opened her womb and God gave them strength and Abraham believed God. And their laughing was turned into a reality of a boy by the name of laughter. <laughs> Did he make their home happy? Did he ever? A child sent from God. Well, the Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I want to know this morning, are you eat up with a love for the house of God? For the people of God. For the work of God. If not, you're not like Jesus like you could be. It'll, it'll make you want to come to every church service. Why in the world, Brother Dorman, do you come to every church service? He flies all over the, down there in Honduras and Guatemala and all over the place down there. And he's gone all these weeks. And every time he comes back, even if he comes in late, early, whatever, he comes in here in his, in his army flyboys outfit. Why? Because he has a love for the house of God. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. Amen? I'm not, I'm not saying he's losing it, but some of you all probably are. He's not. But some of you all, and all he does is when he comes back, he talks about the missionaries that he goes in business down there. Mm-hmm. You know, very few people, if they don't learn to be as faithful as you are, Brother Dorman, in church, they won't have any understanding and discernment about good or bad on mission fields or any field. You've got to be in the house of God, the Holy Spirit of God, to teach you from the Word of God and the different men that God brings by from the pulpit so you can learn something. Say, well, what do I need to learn? Some of you need to get on fire for God. Go out and win some soul to Christ and get a, get a desire and a love for the house of God again so you don't want to ever miss anything that's happening on. When I got saved, I wanted to go to everything. You remember Dr. Bill Barron? Some of you remember Dr. Barron. You know what Dr. Bill Barron said? He, he, he got saved. Uh, he, went, he, he started going to church because he liked a certain girl and she was going to that Baptist church and he was a Roman Catholic. And so what he did, he, you know, he, and he, he wasn't saved yet and he heard there was a deacon's meeting. He wasn't even saved yet. And he, so he takes this big family Bible and he goes to the deacon's meeting. He didn't know what it was. He was trying to get saved but didn't know how. You know what I'm talking about? There are people like that. They want to know God. They just don't know him yet, you know. But they want to find him. They'd like to be saved because his wife-to-be his wife -to -be told him, I'm not marrying you if you don't get saved. He was a big gunny surgeon, you know, drill sergeant at, at, in, in the Marine Corps at Paris Island. But, boy, that girl sure melted him down, didn't she? I'm not marrying you. He said, she's, he, that's what she told him. And he says, that's some other fella. Who is he? I'll take the snot. I'll knock him to death. I'll beat the snot out of him. She said, no, no, that's not the problem. It's not the problem. Well, what is the problem then? Well, you're not saved. Well, I'll get saved then. That's what he told her. 
What do I have to do? Well, you got to come to church with me first. He came to church, and he marched down the aisle, and he genuflexed, you know, like this, and then he knew everybody was watching him after that. He said, boy, I was like a hog in a chicken coop or something. I don't know. Everybody knew me. But he said, I heard about this deacon's meeting. So I thought I'd go to the deacon's meeting. I wanted to go to heaven. I'm supposed to get saved. My wife says, my wife-to-be, I want to marry her. She won't marry me unless I get saved. So I better go to every meeting to find out how to be saved. So he came to the meeting, sat way in the back with his big Bible. And here uh, the pastor of the church was there with all his men there, the deacons. And he sees, sees uh, Bill Barron's in the back there, just a young fellow, just a young fellow, just out of the Marines. And he said, what, what's he doing here? I don't know. Go ask him. So we went back there, talked to him. And he says, fellas, you better take care of the business meeting. He said, I, and we're going downstairs. Went down in the basement and led him to Christ. And he get, you know what happened after he got saved? That pastor wrote in his Bible the plan of salvation. This is how you get saved. And you know what he did? That very night. He just got saved. He went over to and woke up his brother-in-law and said, come here, i got something to show you. He says, you know what it says here? It says here that if you don't, uh, see what that says? Read it, okay? If you don't do that, you're going to hell. And Now read this one. Yeah. If you don't do that, you're going to hell. If you, don't, if you don't do that, you're going to hell. Well, how do I get saved? I don't know. Come to church on Sunday. You've got to be there at church on Sunday. He had 30, 30 I think it's 35 of his relatives lined up took up two or three, four pews in the church on Sunday morning. Sunday morning. And, no, and the pastor gave the invitation and nobody was moving. He showed them all how to be saved. So as a normal drill sergeant would be, he got up and he said, first row! They all marched down there. Second row! He marched them all down there and they all got really saved. They all started living for Jesus. Catholics. Roman Catholics got saved because that whole week he'd gone to everyone's house and said, you're going to go to church with me on Sunday. Did the same thing. That verse means you're going to hell. This verse means you're going to hell. What else does it mean? I don't know. You're going to hell if you don't do that verse. Real deep, isn't it? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what brought those people to Christ. It was the Word of God, surely, but it was His zeal. Zeal for Christ. We need some zeal, whether we're young or we're old. I'm telling you, our churches are, are we're losing our zeal. And if Jesus was zealous for the house of God and the things of God and the Word of God and for His heavenly Father, why can't we get excited? Why do we expect our, our children to be excited about the things of God when we're not even excited about the things of God? We ought to thank God we even have a soul-winning visitation program to go to. Well, I don't. They, we had we had one man in our church a long time ago, and he he came out one or two times, and he didn't like the way we did it. But we're still doing it, and he's not doing it. Shame on him, amen. If if he's not doing it, and we're doing it, if we're doing it wrong, I still like our way better, because at least we're getting the gospel out. Right, do you have any zeal for the Lord? Right, do you have any zeal for the Bible? Why should your children love to, love to read the Bible if you don't love to read the Bible? And why don't you make yourself read the Bible because it's the right thing to do. You go to work every Monday because if you don't go to work, you're not going to get a paycheck at the end of the week and your wife's going to pull your hair out. 
or her own and yours both. Amen. Huh? Come on. Because you got you got to pay bills. You got to pay your rent and the food. Are you with me? We, you mean tell me you can't get enough zeal in your in, in your in your body to get you out of bed to get you to work? And some of you you just hate your job. You hate your superior. But after you're there for an hour or so, you forget about all your ill will and everything. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing, at least for now. That's the way it is with soul winning, right? Oh, are you zealous for the Lord, for His house? Zacharias was. God knew who to pick to have the ones to train up John the Baptist, Zechariah, and Elizabeth. After that nine months came, they said, well, what's his name going to be? And his mother said, his name is John. And they said, we don't know anyone else in your family. You ought to name him Zacharias after his father. No. And, and so they said, well, Zach, Zach, what are we supposed to do? And so they said, well, Zachariah, what are we supposed to do? And he said, and so they brought him a table. He couldn't speak. You know why? Because he did just like Abraham, but God dealt with him stronger, stronger because he was so old and his wife was old and he didn't let him talk for, for about nine months. How would you like that? God deals with different people in their unbelief. And what does it say? By the way, it did say Abraham believed God. Amen. He believed God would give him, after he thought it over, he believed God would give him the child. But here's Zechariah, Zechariah, and he said, he writes, his name is John. And all of a sudden his mouth's open and he praises God and tells uh, what a blessing John the Baptist will be, how great God is. And then there's two others and we're through. In, in Luke 2, you'll have to read it yourself, Luke 2. And there's a little, a little lady by the name of Anna. She was 84 years old, wasn't it? 84? That's pretty old, friends. 84. She served God day and night in the temple with prayers and fasting. And there was Simeon there too. God, he, he must have been old because God said, I won't let you die until you've seen the Lord's Christ. I mean, God came right down and spoke to him. He said, you're not going to die until you see the Christ. And he held up the baby Jesus and said, this is the one. This is the Savior of the world. This is the God of glory. This is the one that's been promised. He's going to take our sins away. Glory be to God. And here's Anna. She's about 84. She comes in and prays in God. And what does she do? She does like any good Christian that's filled with the Spirit of God. And at 84 has a zeal for God! She goes to everybody in Jerusalem. I mean, she saw it. Ah, we saw him. The baby Jesus, the Savior, he's here. Well, Anna, she's walking around like she's 20 years younger. She's flying around. Did you see Anna? Man, she said the Christ is here. I heard her. She came to my house too. She's either crazy or she's seen, the Jesus, seen Jesus the Christ. Boy, I tell you what, we need to get, at all ages, we need to get fired up. Amen. Now, I know we can't run around like Nathan here. I mean, I'll never run around like Nathan here. Whew. These young fellas like a deer. You just know to go break their neck every other step because they're just... <laughs> but we could have a new bounce in our step if we get a bounce in our heart. 
and a love for sinners. Amen. I think we need a, a re. Uh, we need to get re, we need to get refired. Amen. We don't need to retire. We need to refire. Amen. Now we maybe could retire, put some new, get some new shoes. It'll help us to move faster. I'm talking about we don't need to retire on the Lord. We might retire from our job, and y'all are planning on retiring from the army. And when you do, you just refire for God. And you make sure you give all the rest of your years to God and every day for God. But if you're still in the army, you ought to get fired up. You ought to ask God for the zeal of the Lord Jesus. You need to ask God to just help you be eat up. Yeah, have you ever heard of people like that? He's just eat up with a love for money. I'm trying to think of something else. I had something else. He's just eat up with sports. He's just eat up with going hunting. That's all he talks about, hunting. There are places, you know, in America, especially in the Carolinas, and you know what happens when hunting season comes in? They better close their job up. They're going hunting whether, whether, they, whether they get off from work or not. The boss, just he knows it's just no use. Forget vacation time. Hunting season opens tomorrow. See you later, boss. I hope my job's here when I get back, but I'm going hunting. <laughs> How many of you have ever known any people like that? I'm telling you, they're crazy. Some of them are like that with fishing. You know, some of them, they go fishing all the time. Amen? I think we ought to be so eat up with the house of God, the love for the house of God, that we even consider it even above hunting. Or fishing, or anything. Or let's go fishing for souls or hunting for lost people and get them to be saved. Amen? Well, I need to close with this. I know you said, boy, you've been long-winded about something so simple as that this morning. We need to be eat up with a love for the house of God and the things of God from now on till we die. It ought not just be a spasmodic thing. Every once in a while we get in the, the soul-winning mood. Well, I never get, I don't know if I hardly ever get into a soul-winning mood. I have to have a self-starter. When I just get down there and see all those Mexican people, poor, rich, whatever they are, and I'll tell you what, all of a sudden I, I get fired up and I want to just give out every track I've got. I want to grab every center I can find. And, 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 and if I didn't know the language at all, I'd point to my heart and point to heaven and point to hell. And, and I, I think I could get something through to them. They'd think I was crazy, but they'd get something. They get more than the other guy's giving them because he's not concerned about them at all. With my bad Spanish, I'd do better than they're doing with their good Spanish. And at least you can give a gospel track out. Well, we need zeal, don't we? If we want our little girls to be zealous like Anna, then Mama and Daddy are going to have to be zealous. You older siblings, you older children, if you're going to be a good example to your younger ones, then you better go soul winning. You better tithe your money. You better give to missions. You better go on mission trips. You better go to the church services. As Brother Godfrey said, you better join the church. You better be baptized and follow the Lord in baptism. 
you better get involved. The zeal of mine house and thine house hath eaten me up. Let's pray. Father, bless us, we pray. Help us to be like Jesus.